Could you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, uh, verses 8 through 10? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you're there, would you all stand? Here is the word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Without it, we will be forever lost. We thank you for your gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, the good news with his own life, his sinless life, obedient, humble to the point of death and how he paved the way so that we can have this life. Lord, we thank you. We have this word and may your word through the power of the spirit, may it uh, penetrate deep in our hearts, not as a, uh, another uh, a time that we just uh, go through without thinking, um, just another worship, another time to hear your word. But Lord, with grateful heart, with open heart, with desperation and eagerness, Lord, I pray that your spirit will help us to understand your word, what it means to us and how it changes, how it transforms our lives so that we will bring glory to you to your name. Be here with us. Be with your servant as he delivers your message. May your glory be done. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning once again. Now, when I was in seminary uh, for my evangelism course, um, there was a just like a lab for your um, science classes and whatnot, there was a lab, there was a practicum that uh, we were assigned to do uh, for our evangelism course. And that was something that we had to do. And particular assignment that we had was to go door to door, door to door. And we went to this church in an a urban area and we went through a training class uh, with their evangelism pastor, and the church was really known for that, and that was Bedford, Texas. Um, and we went through a training class um, just to help us in real situation, what might come up and how to avoid or how to engage. And that later that evening, uh, we went uh, to a nearby apartment complex, and we went as groups of two, and we began to knock on the door. Um, some didn't answer. I'm, I'm sure uh, people were inside, but they didn't answer. They didn't open the door. And some opened the door, and some didn't want to talk to us. Now, some, great, graciously, um, some of them actually have uh, had welcomed us into their home and willing to speak to us. Now, here is various ways for you to engage complete, total strangers. Uh, what can we pray for you? How is it going? Is there anything that, um, that we can help you financially, emotionally, 
or just spiritually. Um, and there are many other dialogue that you could do. But the heart of the matter, when you knock on the door, you don't have a whole lot of time and you want to get to the point. You want to get to the gospel. And one of the ways that you can get to the, uh, the heart of the matter is this question that we are all familiar with. Why would God let you into his heaven? If you were to die and if you were to stand before the judge today, and if God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven, my home, my kingdom? What would you say, we ask? Now, we were prepared to hear some answers, some type of answer, and we're hoping for gospel. Uh, we're hoping that we will hear the right gospel, but we were also prayerfully hoping that we will have an opportunity. But the response that I... We received, my partner and I, was just, um, I, to this day, that's unforgettable. Because some of the things that we heard repeatedly over and over was something within this nature. I've been a good person. I've been morally good. And I've tried everything I could to be that good person. You know, I've never hurt anyone. I've never hurt anyone intentionally. So therefore, God should let me uh, into his home, his heaven. You know, I have also heard from some church goers. Oh, I attend this church. I go to that church. I have a membership of that church. And some of them also said I should be in heaven because I, I've been going to this church since I was young. As long as I can remember, I was part of that church, member of church, and baptized. And that was their reason. Some of them also said, you know, I helped out with church ministries time to time, with my money, with my time, with my effort. Therefore, I should be in heaven. The one of the most shocking and memorable ones out of the Christians, I mean self-claiming church goers and Christians, and I even heard, I wish I could make this up, but this lady said, my dad was a Sunday school director, Sunday school teacher, therefore I should be in heaven. My mom, by the way, also was a choir director. I think I should be in heaven for that. I've heard good gospel as well. Many Christians in America today believe that the way, the way to be accepted by God into his kingdom is by trying to live a good life. But by whose definition? But by whose moral standard would that be? That good life. Now this morning as we share this, this ponder upon that question, what would you say if I asked you this morning, what would you say as you stand before God, the judge, the creator, the sovereign king? Why should he let you into his heaven what would you answer? How would you answer? This answer, as simple as it is, it's such a probing question that gets to the heart of the matter. Because what you trust to receive eternal salvation, this eternal life, where you place your hope and trust of that eternal life, matters because if you have placed your trust your hope of eternal life in something in someone else 
and later you to stand before the judge and find out that that something, that someone will not get you into his house, what will you do? Because at that point of time, you're going to be doomed. Because there is no second chance. There is no do-over. Why should God let you into heaven? That's the heart of the matter, isn't it? About the gospel. Now this morning we're once again hearing the message of the gospel. Message of salvation. The heart of the matter. Some of you might be thinking this morning, Pastor Jason, isn't that what we've been hearing for the past few weeks? Ever since we began our journey in Ephesians and even chapter 2, is gospel again, huh? Yes, gospel again. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, it's important. Gospel is critical. It's basic yet foundational. Maybe I don't need to hear it because I know it. But for the sake of other people who might need to hear it again and be reminded of, I will, I will listen. I will sit through. But I know this is basic. Church, it is basic. Brothers and sisters, my friends, it is basic. It's even, I will say, elementary because it is foundational. And even you will say it's essential. The gospel is essential to everything that you are, everything that you do, it is involved and intricate, woven into your life. The gospel has to be. And if you don't understand gospel clearly to the core, and if you can't even articulate how and why God should let you into heaven, what gospel stands for, what it means, and therefore what it tells you how to live your life, you can't articulate that how you're saved, why you're saved, then you must wonder, are we believing the gospel? Are we placing our hope and trust in the right thing? Or are we trusting and hoping for a chance that God will say, yes, you're in? What is the gospel? John 3.16 might come to your mind as gospel, right? Well-known gospel verse. And if you are presenting the gospel, when you are knocking on the door, when you are speaking to someone, the easiest, uh, the most straightforward a gospel presentation verse that you can tailor your presentation would be John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Gospel. As much as John 3.16 is critical, essential, important to gospel presentation, I even urge you to look at Ephesians 2, 8-10 in the same lens, in the same uh, level of importance, because it's that important. Ephesians 2, 8-10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Church, this passage, three verses we have here, addresses the fundamental truth of the gospel, the essential truth of the gospel, how we are saved and why we're saved. So, in my opinion, John 3.16, great. But this is even more comprehensive. How you're saved, and now why is also included in this passage. Now, as we study together up to this point, we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where you look at Paul uh, um, enlightening Ephesians about God's spiritual diagnosis of the people of this world. What was diagnosis in first three verses of chapter 2? Simply we're dead, dead in our trespasses and sin. Why were we dead? Because we were following the ways of this world. Because we were following the ways of Satan. Because we were following the ways of our own desires and thoughts. But then Paul says, but God happened in verses 4 through 7. But God happened. And here, in his great love, God, this God being rich in mercy, what happened? He made sinful, spiritually dead people alive in Jesus Christ. It's like he called our name, come on out of the tomb, come on out of the dead. It's like calling out Jesus, calling out Lazarus out of the tomb. He called my name to call my name specifically to come on out, live again. Jason, come on out of the dead, live, be alive, breathe. But God happened. He made us alive by giving us this new life. And not only having this new life, but God, this inheritance we receive, the privilege that we have is we are his children now. We, can, uh, we are co-heirs of heavenly inheritance and we sit and dine with the Father. On his father's table. It's what happened to us. But how? Today's passage is about how. How we are saved. And why. In this passage, according to Paul, simply if we summarize it, salvation is by grace, through faith, for good works. Salvation, church, we're saved, we're justified by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for good works. And we're going to look at this fundamental truth of the gospel, and we're going to break this down. First portion we're going to look at is salvation is by God's grace alone. Now, what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor, right? Unmerited favor. So what that means is if you did anything to earn this grace, if you did anything to deserve this favor, if you were to add anything to this favor or uh, even claim any part of this favor as yours rightfully, then that is not grace. That's not grace. Again, grace means unmerited favor, but, but even more telling definition would be grace would be something that you get the opposite of what you deserve. That's what grace is. 
Grace means that you receive the opposite of you deserve. Now, what were we deserving of? Because of our sinfulness and spiritual deadness, we were deserving of God's fierce wrath. That we're deserving of. But God, instead of that, instead of God placing His wrath upon us, instead He, got, he saved us. He gave us the opposite of what we deserve by His grace. By His grace. Now, as much as we love grace, as much as we love to talk about grace, sometimes if we are honest with ourselves, grace is somewhat hard concept, and I would even dare to say foreign concept for us to understand. Now, think with me here. We have trouble understanding grace because logically, grace doesn't make sense to us because it doesn't seem fair to us. If someone does something wrong, then that person should be punished, called out and punished. If someone does something really good, then that person should be praised, recognized, rewarded, right? That's fair. That sounds and seems fair to us. And that's logical. But if, if you see someone who did something wrong yet received some, something in spite and despite of his wrong actions and wrong decisions, yet he still receives reward, something positive, something that he does not deserve, then we have trouble understanding that. We lose it. It's maddening to some of us. We get angry. But that's exactly what happened to us. It's maddening. It's maddening. We don't deserve Jesus Christ. We don't deserve God's grace. We all have sinned against God and we all deserve to receive that fierce wrath and destined to be in hell for all eternity. Yet Jesus paid it all. The penalty for our sin on the cross for all who trust in Him. The heart of the matter here, the gospel. And folks, this is the way. Those of you understand the Mandalorian reference with smile, a few of you. But this is the way, really. This is the only way. Only way to salvation. There is no other way. It is by grace and by grace alone you have been saved. Now, secondly, salvation is through faith alone. Faith alone. Now, the saving faith is personally trusting in Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done personally. Now, this is personal. This is not corporate 
saving faith is not something you do corporately. In other words, as a church, as a family, this is individual, this is personal. You and the Lord Jesus. Saving faith is committing your eternal destiny to what Jesus did for you on many years ago on the cross. It's like you, um, you are entrusting your life completely, entirely in the hands of a pilot who is going to fly that aircraft that you're in. You completely, entirely, once you walk in, you have zero doubt that the pilot would fly that aircraft and get you to your final destination. That faith. Just like that. Saving faith is entrusting your eternal destiny entirely and completely with a shred of doubt to Jesus Christ and place your life in his hands that he will take you to your final destination. You have no doubt that's saving faith. He will get you to the Father's kingdom. Now, we naturally view this phrase through faith Sometimes we have this understanding, and, and as it says through faith, we understand this as our response in salvation, something that we do on our end. Cross, the paved the way, Jesus Christ, is from what God has done on his end, and through faith, we, we understand it as our action, our response. In some ways, yes, there is, but in here... Paul would argue the other way. What Paul wants us to know in these verses is that even our response in our salvation, your response to the gospel is not from yourselves. That is even not from yourselves. Why? Because it is the gift of God. It's a gift. You didn't do anything. You received even the faith. Faith is not something that we do in our own accord. It's not something that we do in our own power. Faith is not something that we do by our own resources. I told you I did the door-to-door evangelism. I've done that in Virginia. I've done that in um, San Antonio as well as a church you know, uh, situated in the communities all around and one of the best ways to, to tell the community that we exist here and we would love to see you is by, you know, knocking on the door. And as in the process, you also share the gospel. So I've done that many times in the previous stops I had. But imagine yourself, you are about to knock on the door. How would you share the gospel? What would you share? What would you, what is your gospel message? And the easiest way for us to begin as we knock on the door is that asking that question as you are having that dialogue and the chance finally gets here that you have that need and you need to uh, present the gospel. Maybe you can utilize John 3.16. There is this God who, who is creator. He is sovereign. He is the judge. And he will be back. Yet this God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. And his son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect sinless life. And he died on the cross for you, in your place, for your sin. And on the third day, he, he rose again from 
the dead. And whoever believes in the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will not perish but have eternal life. And again, you are that sinner in need of Jesus Christ, in need of salvation. That might be the gospel presentation right there. Now, after sharing the gospel in your experience, what was the response? What kind of response did you receive? When you knock on the door, when you share the gospel to your friends, when you were out in the mission field, what was the response you received? How did the people react? They can either decide to believe or not. That's the reaction. That's their response. They can decide to place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ or not. Walk away. Never happened. I don't care about that. But for those who do respond, and when that happens, when that faith, when that profession occurs, when they decide to follow Jesus, believe and trust in Jesus, at that moment, if it appears to be that was his own understanding, that person's own uh, logic and cause that salvation to take place in that person's life, responds on his part because we present it. However, notice what Paul wants us to understand here. According to Paul, that, that understanding, that decision is not even our own understanding. It's not even our own decision to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's not from us. It's not from people, but it's from God. The truth that we come to know, the faith that we come to have, the gospel, in gospel Jesus Christ, is, Paul says, not our own doing. It didn't happen by you. It is the gift of God by the grace of God, the core, core of the gospel. Why? Because no one can be proud. No one can boast. Look what I have done, what I have, what I established. There's nothing you have done to deserve salvation. No work has done on your end. Even the response was to buy the grace of God. Your faith was the gift from God. 1 Corinthians one thirty, Paul also said this, but by his doing, who's doing? God's doing, the Father's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Who's doing our, by whose doing are we in Jesus Christ? God's doing. We're in Jesus Christ. You didn't place yourself in Jesus Christ. By God, you are placed in Jesus Christ. By God's doing, Jesus Christ became your wisdom. For you to realize your sinfulness and need of Jesus Christ. By grace, by God's doing, He placed you in Jesus Christ and He became your righteousness. He became your sanctification. He became your redemption. It's not from ourselves. That's, please don't make that mistake. It's not from ourselves. It's all by God's doing. That's what it means. By grace through faith, it's the gift of God. 
When I was in Texas, um, I was overseeing and organizing a statewide youth retreat for Korean Americans in Texas. Um, that was our third year, and then we had a conflict in our scheduling with the usual uh, retreat center that we go to. So we were scrambling, and we, by we, means Pastor Charles and I. So we were scrambling to look at the central location where we can have this statewide youth retreat. And it happens to be the Jewish encampment that was available. So we went. We went. We looked at it. I still remember uh, the name of that place, Camp Young Judea. Nice facility. Great meeting place. Space was spacious enough for 400 people we had. Um, it, the cabins were great. Covered basketball courts. I mean, two full courts, you know, pools and outdoor activity, amphitheater, natural one. It was super nice. The price was even better. So after tour, you know, we sat down, we signed the contract, and at that point in time, we were not informed. Informed about what? Informed about their very, very, very strict dietary rule. So the day came, and, you know, they came, and then we moved in. We, we checked in. We're checking in 300, 400 people, and we were moving our stuff into the facility. And as we did, as we were in the process, I spotted the camp director just walking around in our main place. In the back of the room, we had all the snacks and things. And he was particularly taking a long time to look around that area. And he came to us. And he informed us that some of those items that we brought and placed inside the building needs to go. And I was like, what do you mean? Well, you can't eat them inside the building. You can't store them inside the building. Why? What's wrong with that? It's not kosher. You know, did you know there is a back of the, some of the items that come in snacks? It actually tells you whether or not it's kosher. And if it doesn't specify, it's not. And we even had Korean cup noodles there stacked. Not kosher. So therefore, not only we can't eat them inside the building, you know, cookies and chips and bread and peanut butter, jelly and cup noodles, we can't even eat them inside the building, but also can't store them in the building. So we had to take them out. There are a few items that literally said there is a kosher mark in there. So we kept some of those indoor. But we're talking about 95, 98 degree outside. When the last day comes and I went to the guy and I said, hey, um, this cup noodle, can we have some boiled water? And we'll just get the boiled water at the cafeteria. They have a machine and we'll just go out. No, you can't. Can we borrow your pots and pans and utensils where we can boil water outside and do that? No, we can't. Once you use it, we would have to throw it away. I, I wish I can make this up. Throw it away. Why? Because we're Gentiles. We're defiled people. I knew about this as a first century thing. This is 2012? 
<laughs> you see, for these people, salvation is not by grace through faith. No. For these people, salvation has nothing to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has nothing to do with that. But it is everything to do with observing the rules and traditions and commandments that was handed down to them through works, works of your hands. It's not a gift. It's performance, you, what you do to qualify you to enter into God's kingdom. It's your undoing, contrary to what Paul is saying. Paul, a Pharisee, a Jew, devoted to the rules and traditions and commandments of God. Paul says salvation is not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. No one can be proud of what I am, what I receive from God. You didn't do anything, Paul says. Even your faith so that no one can be proud. Sometimes we are guilty of this. Sometimes we are confused with this church life and the life of follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have this mentality that in the church life, we have this, you know, a church membership. You have been baptized and you've been giving your offerings, your money, your effort, your talent. You're taking communion occasionally and you are keeping as best as you can, live that obedient life according to the commandments of God. But yet, that will not bring salvation to you, would it? It will not add anything to salvation that God is offering to you as a gift. The only thing a person can do in order to be saved is to exercise faith in what Jesus Christ has already done for that person. So what does it mean? That's what it means. The gospel means we are saved, we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. This is how we are saved. Amen? This, you and I have to clearly understand. And then finally, why? Salvation is for good works. This is where the works come in. He addresses, Paul addresses why we are saved. What do you think you're saved in Jesus Christ? To be blessed? To be rich? To be invincible in the world? For everything to go well according to your plan, according to your desire, for you to live your best life here on earth? Is that why you are saved? Paul says, we're saved for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, to walk in them, in them, them, the good works. Now, Paul cl clarified this earlier. We're not saved by works, by this good works that you do. But here he says, we are saved justified, placed in Jesus Christ for good works. Don't make that mistake. 
No good amount of no amount of good works can produce salvation. Paul says that he established that. But many good works are produced by your salvation. John chapter 15a, Jesus said, This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So church, when God, as God's people, when God's people do good things, good deeds out of their faith, according to the Bible, not only we prove to be the Lord's disciples, but what we do in the process, we bring by our fruit that we bear, we bring glory to the Father. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, Paul says we became God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is masterpiece. And we can have a sermon just for that. We're his masterpiece created in Jesus Christ. Again, for what? For his good works. You need to understand that. The power that created you, placed you in Jesus Christ, the power that, uh, the, that made you alive come out of that tomb as Jesus commanded and called your name, that same power empowers you each and every day as Christ's follower to do good works. To live a life of good works. For you to pursue a life of Dreadful, no, joyful obedience to the Lord, His commands. You see, Ephesians, this book is not written out to non-Christians. This is written to the church, to the existing Christians. He's not presenting gospel for the first time. This is not, not to win their soul, right? What Paul is doing here is simply instructing Ephesians how to be saved. Oh, I should say not. He's not simply instructing them, just to telling them how to be saved. It's not his purpose. But what he's, he's doing is why you are saved. What the purpose was for the gospel. And he says, it is in order to bring about the obedience of faith. That's the exact phrase that when you read Romans 1 5 when when Paul sets the that that the uh, <clears throat> tone of Ephesians I mean Romans Paul will say I write this letter what God has done revealing himself to the mankind is to ultimately bring about the obedience of faith and if we think that faith is the outcome of the gospel no Faith is not outcome. Faith is gift. What is the outcome of your faith? Obedience. Which God prepared beforehand in advance for us to produce. My friends, obedience, however weak may be, however short-living it may be, how feeble it may look that obedience is evidence of your love for Christ. Amen? That obedience, how tiny that might be, it's your love 
for Christ. That's the evidence. And out of your love for the Lord, good works that you do are that perfect complement to the gospel that saved all of us. And our good works are the result of God's transforming work in our hearts and our lives. And this is the way. The gospel and gospel people, the gospel community, as we uh, go, go through that book, Rediscovering Church, we are gospel community living for the gospel. And that gospel tells the gospel community, gospel-driven people, you are for this work, good works that he desired beforehand. This is the way for Christians. Church, you are saved, again, by grace alone, through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone, not by works of our hand, but rather we're justified, we're saved in Christ for the good works. Because the faith that saves is never alone. We change. Saving faith you have in your heart is never alone. It is accompanied by obedient deeds and actions to respond. The fruit of our salvation is there to see. And that must be our response, true, genuine response to the gospel. This is why we need to hear the gospel again and again and often as we can. It is essential. It is basic. It is elementary. I tell you, I recognize that. Do you know what happened to you according to the gospel? Where you were? what God did for that moment for you, how you're saved, then you also need to go further. You can't just stop there. Oh, I know where I was and what God did and what I'm for, what I'm entitled to, but what I'm saved for, created in Jesus Christ for then we understand the true response that we could make to the gospel. Folks, there's an old hymn, right? Trust and obey. Trust and obey, there is no other way. I, I think I'm portraying a song. It's old song. It's old, old song, but there is truth to it. What can we do? If you, by God's grace and through his gift of faith, you recognize, you understand the gospel, what's our response? You trust and obey. You trust and obey God. There is no other way. There is no other way. For you to be blessed in Jesus Christ. For you to be happy in Jesus Christ. There is no other way but to trust and obey him. Amen? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the way for Christians. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for your reminder. Thank you for the passage for past three weeks that what we learn and what we realize, where we were, 
what kind of desperate condition we were in. And God, in your amazing love and grace and you being rich in mercy, what you have done through Jesus Christ. By your grace, we have been saved. And through faith, as we entrust completely, entirely our lives, our eternity in the hands of Jesus Christ, that faith that we have in the Lord on His finished, complete work on the cross, we're justified. And as we find ourselves in Jesus Christ, and as that's our profession of faith, we do, we do not exist. We, we are not living outside of Jesus Christ. If that is who we are, we cannot just be satisfied there in the gospel, but we understand what we are saved for. Why? To bring about the obedience of our faith. To do good works that bring glory to the Father. That must be our true, genuine response to the work, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we recognize your handiwork in our lives. We recognize in the past how you met us, helped us to recognize our sinfulness, utter depravity. And we recognize and profess our need of Jesus Christ. The finished work. And we we threw ourselves in the arms of God covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Saved, renewed, restored and redeemed, forgiven. As Paul encouraged, declared to the Ephesians, now it is to bring the obedience of faith. It is to bear spiritual fruit. It is for us to demonstrate our love, not as works to earn grace, but to demonstrate in true, humble, obedient response to what Jesus Christ has done, who He is to us. We recognize there is no other way but to trust and obey the Lord Jesus. There is no other happiness and joy exists out in the world outside of Jesus Christ. There is no joy, no peace, no blessedness without our Lord Jesus. So we trust. So we obey. So Lord, help us all. Help us to live for the gospel, by the gospel. And let us truly be the gospel community that you called us to be. Father, we thank you for the message. And may it work in our hearts throughout this upcoming week. And I pray as we live this, leave this place, going back to our home, to our workplace, our school. Lord, may you go with us and go before us. Let the gospel truly bear much fruit in our hearts and demonstrate it for the glory of the Father. We thank you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.